walks in and I come in there, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm fly. I got my chain on. I'm all like, yeah, I'm sharp. I'm ready for this. And his boss looks at me. He's like, you know what, Will? I'm not feeling you. I'm like, I'm crushed. And he literally looks at me. He's like, oh, you don't want it. And just like shuts down on me. And at that moment, I'm like, everything I've ever dreamed about, everything I wanted to do, you know, I'm walking in the building at Warner, you're seeing pictures of Prince and Madonna and just like, it's like, this is the dream, right? And I pick up the phone and I call Enterprise and my branch manager answers. She's like, we're slammed. Where are you? What time are you going to be here? I was like, yeah, I'm never coming back in. So later that night, she calls me and she's like, how are you going to do this to me? I put my neck on the line for you and everything. And I said, Marissa, it's not about you. I said, somebody gave me the opportunity to walk into my dream right now. I can't say no. This is what people need to hear. Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough TV. I'm your host, Gigi, and I'm super excited to bring to you all today's episode. Now, growing up, I used to wonder, what is it like to actually work with celebrities and stars and, you know, the music production space? I also really enjoyed writing music. I just wondered, what would it be like to publish a piece of work that others could hear? Did you all ever dream of, like, working with stars at one point, or is that just me? <laughs> well, today's guest is absolutely incredible, and he's going to be telling us his journey breaking into the music industry. So today's guest studied business and marketing at Morehouse College before beginning his work as a music intern for three years at Black Market Entertainment Records. He then moved on to work with Warner Brothers Records for 15 years and his role was to mass market mainstream artists. Currently, he's working at Columbia Records, and he has an absolutely incredible story to share with us today. Let's give a warm welcome to Wilt Wallace. Thank you so much, Gigi. I appreciate it. I thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on, Wilt. So we'd love for you to share with us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and then we'll go ahead and get into how you got into the music industry. Okay, yeah, so I was born and raised in Reston, Virginia. It's a small place outside of Washington, D.C. I uh, went to Morehouse College, like you said. I uh, graduated in 04. At that time, while I was in college, I started interning for uh, Black Market Entertainment, BME Recordings, um, while I was there. And then when I graduated in 04, I moved to L.A. And after being in L.A., I guess I moved to L.A. like summer 05. And after I was there for about eight months, I met some people at Warner through some previous contacts I had from my internships in Atlanta and uh, got a, a, a opportunity to get on at Warner. And like you said, I was there for 15 years and, um, you know, working in the space of marketing and promoting artists. Uh, started at the bottom as an intern and worked my way up to when I left Warner, I was a senior vice president of Urban Promotion. And I transitioned last May, May of 2022. I went over to Columbia Records and I hold that same title, Senior Vice President of Urban Promotion. Wow, thank you for giving us that background. So I want you to take us back into what it was like being an intern, because I know that there was a process of you getting into the music industry that took years. What did that process look like, especially for someone who's fresh out of college, who's like, how do I even begin this process? 
Yeah, so like many people that I've met that work professionally in music, we all had dreams of being on the talent side, of being the artist, being the producer, being, you know, in that role. So in seventh grade, I was going to Lakes and Hughes um, Intermediate School in Reston, Virginia, and I started writing uh, creative writing. I took a creative writing class, and it really drew me in. You know, I didn't really have many passions outside of sports, and I liked music, but I didn't see myself, like, being an artist or pursuing a career in it. Although I was in a just say no rap group in like fourth or fifth grade we performed at a fair or something like that out there in virginia but long story short as i got into high school i got deeper into hip-hop this is like the mid-90s hip-hop is exploding it's everywhere in the mainstream and uh there were some guys that i grew up with that were recording music and i started linking up with them they started coming to the house we started making beats and working on stuff in the basement and what I realize is, you know, I'm five foot five, five foot six. I'm not going to play sports professionally. So I, I'm not going to play past high school. So I needed to find another passion that would hold me locked in, that would keep my attention span. Um, and music was that. Like, it was something that I could do for hours. I could sit in the studio for hours, not make any money. And, you know, they say uh, an idle mind is the devil's playground. So, so true. you know, at that time in my life, I was getting into a lot of things I shouldn't have been into. And I was getting off of the path. I really wasn't interested in school. I wasn't interested in college. But music was the one constructive thing that kept me locked in and would help me, you know, like get away from those things I shouldn't have been getting into at the time. So fast forward, I go down to Atlanta to go to college in Morehouse. And while I'm there, I meet some people that are also recording music. And so now I'm like, at this time, you know, the LaFace movement has popped off in Atlanta. Outkast is one of the biggest groups across the country. So I'm like, if I can find my way in at a record label, learn what they know. Because I had a guy named Face, he's still one of my best friends to this day, who was one of the most talented rappers that I had ever been around. And I was like, if I can learn the business part, I could use this to market face and push him to the mainstream. He'll be the rapper. I can kind of be the executive producer. I can rap. I can help record, but it won't really be about me. It'll be more about him because I wasn't really a natural performer, right? So that's what really led me to the passion of chasing or pursuing a dream of working in the music business. Now, through that, once I was in college, I met a guy named Orlando McGee. He was running marketing and promotions for BME Recordings. When I first met him, he wasn't doing that yet. He was actually working with Organized Noise and Rico Wade and the Dungeon family who produced Outkast. So I'm, you know, 19 years old, just got to Atlanta, and I'm in the studio with the guys who produced Outkast. You know, so to me, I'm like, wow, I, I can touch it. It's this close, you know. Now, I don't think that, like, we're going to just overnight just become what they're doing, but I'm like, if I can learn enough and just serve them, show them my value, mm -hmm. like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm here to help whatever you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. So as my friend Orlando tra uh, transitioned to the role at BME and he was doing marketing and promotion, whenever I wasn't in class at Morehouse, I would just go to his office and just sit there and just soak up whatever was going on. You know, they would be like, oh, you go to the school, you want to go, we got these CDs, can you go pass them out to students? Oh, we got these posters, go put them out. And although me and some of the guys that went to Morehouse with me were making our own music at the time, I never walked in the office like, hey, check out our music or hey, put us on. It was like, no, I'm just here to serve you guys. Mm -hmm. Whatever you guys need at BME, and at the time, BME, so BME, to give you a little background, this was a company that was owned by Lil John, um, the producer, and a couple of his business partners. There's a, a lawyer named Vince Phillips, and there's a radio personality named Emperor Cersei from Atlanta, and another guy, Rob McDowell, who was Lil John's manager. So these four guys grew up together, 
and they broke Little John together from his career being a, a, a DJ to an A and R, and now they were signing and producing their own artists, Little Scrappy, Trillville, Crime Mob. They signed E40. So I'm sitting there in the room while all of this exp is exploding, what they call the crunk movement, the crunk era of Atlanta's sound, right? So me being from Northern Virginia and more like growing up listening to New York hip hop, I didn't really understand the music at first, but from being around them and paying attention and going out and seeing the culture, you go into a club and there's, you know, 2015 year olds like, you know, doing this all simultaneously, you see the energy and what the music does for people. And, I, and that for me was like, I have to be a part of this. Like I have to continue to grow in this. Um, eventually that, internship transition into doing street team work passing out flyers putting up posters started to get my own little street team accounts on the side because people would see me with Lil John in them mm -hmm. and even though Lil John and BME weren't paying me people would be like well you're with them so you know what they do so we'll pay you to market our stuff so I started making little money on the side like that uh, graduated college and eventually I just realized it wasn't enough like I wasn't making enough to make ends meet and I felt like kind of stuck I was in a place where I was kind of stuck and so people had always told me at this time this is like I said 2004 um, if you want to get a career in the music business you got to go to New York or LA you got to pick a coast either New York or LA so my brother who you've interviewed before Ronnie Warner was in LA and he was working on his film career he had partnered with Makai Pfeiffer they were doing films they had their company facilitator music and Ronnie's like, yo, you're becoming a big fish in a little pond. Come out here to L.A., hustle with us. He's like, we're hanging out with all the rappers. We're doing, we're meeting with Fat Joe. We're hanging out with Nas. We're doing all this. Just come and be in the room. Soak it up out here and find your way. So I went out to L.A. Uh, at the time, I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car. That was my first job outside of, out, out of college. Um, it's a long story how I got that job. But long story short, I was working for Enterprise Rent-A-Car, and I used that job to get to LA. So I already had something paying to pay my bills so I could kick Ronnie some rent so I could pay for my lifestyle, all those things. So I had the job with Enterprise. And um, after about maybe eight months, I'll never forget it. Ronnie came to me one day and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, he's like, you're becoming the enterprise guy. You said you came out here to be in the music industry. Do you want to be in the music industry or do you want to be the manager at enterprise? Cause you're, you're giving me the 15 year career spiel at enterprise. I thought it was just a hustle to get into the business and it clicked. And I was like, maybe I'm not doing enough. I was getting comfortable. And just to show how God works right around that time, maybe a month or so later, my boy Orlando McGee called me and he's like, yo, you ready to get back in the game? And I'm like, what? So at this time, he's managing DJ Drama and some of the mixtape DJs that are coming out of Atlanta. And in my mind, I'm seeing everything they're doing in Atlanta. And I'm like, maybe I made the wrong decision because Orlando and his career is taking off. And maybe I should have stayed and just been more patient. Mm -hmm. And maybe I would be taking off with him and what he's doing in Atlanta. Instead, I'm washing cars at Enterprise and sitting, you know, like I'm stressed, you know, and I'm just not happy. I'm not fulfilled. So... Orlando told me that because BME had a distribution deal, they had two distribution deals, one with a TVT records and one with Warner Brother records. And he said that Warner Brothers had just let go of some of the people in their mix show department and they needed some help. And he's like, I'm going to put you with the guy that's doing it. His name is Brandon Scales. And it, it set off a light bulb because I'm like, when I used to, because at BME, I would do office stuff for them too. So I used to like uh, print out reports 
get faxes, ship out packages, whatever they needed, right? You know, this is back when we still had vinyl that we had to service to DJs. I would service the DJs, we'll call DJs and build relationships on the phone. So when he said Brandon Scales, I was like, I remember calling him to order product for DJs. He was at Warner while I was at BME in Atlanta, he was at Warner in LA. So I was like, oh, the guy knows me from the phone. Maybe if I, you know, go meet him, he'll remember my name and we can build a relationship. So Orlando gives me Brandon's information. This is, I think, back when you had like those T-Mobile sidekicks. And so I'm like, I didn't have one. So I'm like emailing Brandon on his sidekick from my computer and I'm calling him and he keeps like putting me off. He keeps like, you know, kind of, you know, like, oh, I'll get with you. Oh, I'm on my way out of town. When I get back, well, you know, da, 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 and giving me the runaround pretty much, right? So finally Orlando uh, had Brandon in Atlanta and Brandon was like, coming from a video shoot with Orlando and Orlando called me and said, look, I just left Brandon. I'm gonna put you on three way with Brandon and don't say anything. He gets ready. And this is like, this is how intricate it goes and how you just never know where your opportunity is going to come from. He gets Brandon on the phone, gets him comfortable talking. Brandon's like, yeah, you saw them at the video shoot. And he's like, yeah, but I got my man Wilt on the phone. And I just heard Brandon's energy like, like, cause he knows he's been ducking me. Right. So through that three-way call, we set up a meeting. I go in there to meet with Brandon. And um, this is an enterprise at the time. If you, you work the five-day week, right? And it's pretty much 50 hours a week. You're working pretty much 10 hours a day, right? Yeah, you're working from eight to eight, pretty much like eight to six or whatever, but it's like a 10-hour day, right? And so what they had is like a flex schedule where if you work a weekend day, you work a Saturday, you get half a day off during the week. So what I did is I volunteered to work that Saturday so I could get half a day off during the week to go meet with Brandon in the morning. Because I'm not going to let go of my secure bag. You know, at this time, I'm making $40,000 a year at Enterprise. And this is 2005. So yeah. it's not like, you know, it's pretty good money at the time. And um, so I go in to meet with Brandon. I got the morning off. But I know I got to be at work at noon. And I got to wear a suit and tie to work every day. That's the way it is in Enterprise. So I go into the, but I know that this is hip hop. So I go to the meeting at Warner with my t-shirt on jeans whatever so i know i got to change and get back to work so i go to meet with brandon he told me to be there at 10 i'm there at nine you know they say if you're if you're on time you're late right, right. so i'm there early trying to put on a good impression he's not there 10 o'clock comes he's still not there 10 30 comes he's still not there now it's like 11 o'clock i'm like i gotta be at work in an hour i gotta change clothes somebody else comes in to meet with brandon he comes out to get that person and then he sees me, he's like, oh, I forgot you were here. All right, well, come back with me. So I could have easily got discouraged and just left yeah. or gone off. Or, but I was like, all right, no, it's cool, it's cool. So he meets with the other guy first, and my time is ticking. I'm like, I got to be at work. Yeah. So eventually the other guy leaves. Brandon brings me in to meet with him. And he's like, you know, feet up on the desk, not looking me in the face, typing on his computer, like just totally like disregarding that I'm even there. Tell me about yourself, but not listening to anything I'm saying. You know, and so... Eventually, after I'm going on the spiel about what I've done, who I am, whatever, he's like, all right, do you still have your DJ list from BME? So in a DJ list at that time is we used to keep lists of radio DJs throughout the country that we would call mm -hmm. and promote our music to, radio and club DJs. And that's what Brandon did for Warner, and that's what I was doing for BME. So he's like, you still got your, your DJ list? I was like, yeah, I got it. He's like, pull it out. Let's make some calls. And I'm like, hey, I didn't bring it today. I thought we were just meeting. And he literally looks at me, he's like, oh, you don't want it, and just like shuts down on me. And at that moment, I'm like, 
everything I've ever dreamed about, everything I wanted to do. You know, walking in the building at Warner, I, like I left this part out, you're seeing pictures of Prince and Madonna and just like, it's like, this is the dream, right? I'm here, I'm in the building. I'll cold call your DJs just to show you how good I am on the phone and how I can make relationships. And I saw a light bulb go off. So he said, all right, well, look, here, let's do this. He said, I can't bring you in until you prove to me that you're better than the people I'm already paying. He said, right now I'm paying two people $800 a month 1099, no W-2, off the books, to come in three days a week and make phone calls and do office work for me. So pretty much 24 hours a week, they make $800 a month, 1099 employee, they gotta pay their own taxes out of that $800 a month, but it's an opportunity to be in the building and build relationships. He's like, come in tomorrow and we'll start. But you, but I'm not promised that 800. I gotta come in tomorrow and prove myself so he can let those people go and give me the 800, right? So I leave this meeting and I know I got to be at work in 30 minutes. Wow. And I'm making $40,000 a year at Enterprise. And I pick up the phone and I call Enterprise. And my branch manager answers. She's like, oh, we're slammed. Where are you? What time are you going to be here? I was like, yeah, I'm never coming back in. What? And she's like, what? And she's like, I'm calling the area manager. I'm calling Marissa. Da, da, da. And I'm like, it's all good. And she just hangs up on me. And to give you a little backstory, because I'm trying to make this quick, but it's a long story and I'm trying to condense it for you. But the the area manager who was over like all the enterprise branch, uh, branches in that area, maybe 10 locations, her name was Marissa. And since I had gotten to LA, me and her had gotten close and, and like, you know, professionally. And, you know, to the point where she would take me to lunch and talk about my career path. And that's why Ronnie's looking at me like, you're getting close to the area manager at Internet. Like, is that what you want? You want the future is to be. And he said, that's cool if that's what you want, but just own it and be that. You can't do both. You got to choose, you know? And so as I'm talking to Marissa, I found out that some of my friends in Atlanta that were kind of moonlighting in the music industry that worked at Enterprise, because that's how I got on at Enterprise, was through some friends in Atlanta. I really only took the job at Enterprise because one of my friends would get a referral and they pay him $1,500 for getting me the job. And I, he told me he split it with me 750 and my rent was 750 at the time. So I didn't even plan to keep the job in enterprise. It was really just for the 750. Then through the interview process, I found out if you stay for six months, you could transfer. So that's why I decided, oh, I'm gonna stay for six months, save up my money, move to LA, transfer, so I already have a job, like all of this. And it's just God's timing. Like these are things that I couldn't have imagined that are just opening as I'm going, right? So anyway, I found out since some of the friends in Atlanta, they were like DJs and doing other things in the music industry and working at Enterprise. Enterprise in Atlanta started letting them go part-time. And that was like unheard of. Enterprise is a full-time job, like 50 hours a week. There's no part-time for uh, somebody that's in the, what they call the management training program, right? So, I mean, you have to have a college degree to get the job. Like, it's, like it wasn't just like a simple, I had to go through a three interview process to get the job. So. I found out that they were doing part-time. So I asked the area manager, Marissa, cause I'm like, cause when Ronnie said, what are you doing? Are you, how are you going to get back in the music business? I was like, I can't work in enterprise full-time and get in the music business. So I told her what my friends were doing. And I told her my, with my career path where I really wanted to be in the music industry. And she went to her higher ups, the regional managers and enterprise and got me approved to work part-time. So she put her neck on the line for me to get me to be able to be able to work part-time so I could still work for her. She, she didn't want me to leave but also chase my dream of working in the music business. And this was probably a month before the meeting at Warner happened. So I know that she's put her neck on the line for me and I just basically said, I'm done, I'm out, you know what I'm saying? So later that night she calls me and she's like, how are you gonna do this to me? I put my neck on the line for you and everything. And I said, Marissa, it's not about you. 
I said, somebody gave me the opportunity to walk into my dream right now. I can't say no. Wow. And so she hung up. I never talked to her again in my life. But at the end of, at the, end of the day, it was $40,000, health benefits, mm-hmm. W-2 employee, mm-hmm. taxes withheld, totally secure, or a, a possibility to maybe make $800 a, a month, $1099. But this was an opportunity to get in the door. And not everybody gets that opportunity to get in the door. So between God taking me to Morehouse and, and meeting Orlando and working with him and moving to L.A. with Ronnie and everything else, it all aligned to get me in the door. And I couldn't pass up the opportunity to continue to walk through that door for security, for financial stability. And look, we all have bills. We all got to you know take care of things. So my point to that is. If you want to work in this, there's no like set career path. There's no like steps there, book you can read. You just got to go and take every opportunity and take every risk and know that you might do that for 10 years and still not get where you want to be. Or you might, but it's like 1% make it through. And I'm one of the lucky ones. And I think the definition of luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So when I say luck, it wasn't random luck. Mm -hmm. I was preparing myself. Mm -hmm. I was working. I was learning. I was building relationships all along the way. And to take it a few steps forward from that moment when I made that decision, I went in there and I went to work. I got busy. I'm calling DJs. I'm pretending like I work for Warner, like I have a full time. I'm not like, hey, I'm the intern guy because nobody's going to listen to you. You got to fake it to make it. So I'm like, hey, I'm over here at Warner now. I'm calling people that I used to know from when I was in Atlanta. I'm calling new people that I've never met before, pretending like I know. I'm like, oh, you don't remember me? We were at the Little John listening session. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so whatever I had to do, right, to get in there. And the guy, Brandon, he sees this. um, And he's like, he pulls me aside. He's like, look. He's like, I know I was talking about giving you the street team budget, 800 a month just to come in here for three days a week. But I see something bigger for you. And I know you don't want to be an assistant. I know you don't want to be an admin, but they're giving me an opportunity to hire a temp from the temp agency. And he's like, I don't want a temp that just does office stuff for just a, a general, a generalist. I want a specialist that knows music, DJs, culture, that does what you do, but also has a college degree in short, uh, sharp and can you know, do all the clerical stuff. He's like, so I know that's not what you want to do, but it's a chance for me to get you paid get you some benefits and get you in the door and hopefully find you a full-time position in this building. And he's like, will you do it? I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I have nothing else to lose. I just quit my job making $40,000 a year to sit here and make calls for you for free. Wow. So you're saying that you'll introduce, so he's basically like, look, I'll send you to the temp agency. You have to apply to them. And then if they see you suitable to be a temp for them, they can assign you to me. Making $12 an hour not glamorous but i'm working at warner i'm in the building so i did that for about a month and then a full-time position opened up as his assistant making thirty thousand dollars a year and he put me up for that i had to interview for that his boss flew in from new york to meet me in the first meeting with his boss he walks in and i come in there you know i'm thinking i'm fly i got my chain on i'm all like yeah i'm sharp i'm ready for this and his boss looks at me he's like you know what will i'm not feeling you I'm like, I'm crushed. This is like the senior VP. And he's like, I've never met him before. I've only been here a month. And he's like, I'm not feeling you. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not feeling me? You don't know me. He's like, you don't ever reach out to me. I'm like, I don't know you. I work for Brandon. Brandon reaches out to you. Like, I'm just following the the chain of command. He's like, nah. He's like, well, how come the people in Atlanta, when I checked in on, on your name, they said that I shouldn't hire you? What? 
I'm like, what? I'm like, what did I do? What are you saying? Like, what? And so what I learned later is it was probably just a test mm-hmm. to see how it, but I just, I just was like, look, I don't know what anybody else is saying. I know what I'm able to do and I'm a loyal person and I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to work hard. And so after that meeting, he hung around in LA for a couple more days. Cause like I said, he's New York based. And eventually on a Sunday night, he invited me out to a, a little bar by the airport right before he caught his, his flight. And he offered me my job, making $30,000 a year as Brandon's assistant. And then long story short about, I guess that was probably March or April of 2006. And um, by January of 2007, they promoted me to a mix show rep to where I was actually responsible. I wasn't doing clerical work, nobody's assistant anymore. Now I'm actually responsible for a region calling DJs. And, and promoting the records and being held accountable, like telling them, all right, I'm gonna get this many DJs to play this song this week. And then making sure that I hit those numbers and continue to deliver on goals and have results and stuff like that to promote the songs for the artists on the label. And um, it was it was at that moment that I was like, okay, now I'm in here and now I made it. You know, and that, at that point, I think I went up to like $50,000 a year. And again, the reason I keep saying the salary is because it wasn't about the money. I needed something that would keep me passionate and engaged and focused and uh, so you know long story another 15 years I was there I got promoted up the line but that's kind of like that so what me and you talked about before the interview about faith and and really you know serving and in each step of the way that's what got me where I was going it wasn't my knowledge of music it wasn't the salary that they offered me it was the purpose of what I was doing and I was willing to serve those that could give me the opportunity to move forward so Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I appreciate you taking the time to give us the real, not, you know, cutting your story short, simply because I believe that this type of authenticity and transparency is exactly what people need. A lot of people won't share with you the struggle, you know, the things that they really had to go through. They make it look so polished, but they don't let you know, hey, this was extremely hard for me to get to. I went through the same thing that everybody else is going through to be able to get here. And I was just blessed for this to, this opportunity to open up for me. And so I just appreciate you sharing those details because it blessed me to hear your story. And I've had to take leaps of faith as well, you know, leaving jobs that had that type of security to have to look like you're crazy to, you know, on the outside looking in because it's like, you know, you went to college and you're, you're supposed to have this type of career that everybody expects you to have. And it's like, no, I have a, a vision and a passion that God is telling me. And the vision is just for me. You, you guys don't understand yet, but later I'm just by faith, I'm believing it's all gonna make sense and it's going to come together. And your story also really speaks to, it's not what you know, but who you know. Getting out there and making yourself known and making your presence felt, getting in the midst of people who are gonna be like-minded, who are going to help give you other connections because you need that network to be able to grow. If you don't have a strong network, you're going nowhere. And I didn't understand this when I first graduated. I thought that my knowledge would take me. And little did I know, I didn't even really have the knowledge I really needed to have. You gotta get connected with people who are really there. So God has been allowing me to be able to build a strong network with people who are in different industries that I'm looking to move forward. And I'm really, right now, I'm a student. And the Holy Spirit showed me, in order to be successful and be fruitful in life, you're gonna need to be a servant and a student. 
Those two S's, if you don't have those, you're not going anywhere. Nobody wants to help you up the ropes and up the ladder if you're not willing to offer your services and offer yourself as an asset in a sense. Like if you have nothing to offer and you're not looking to serve, who's gonna really look out for you? Probably no one. Being real, you have to have a mindset of being like, okay, how can I put myself in a position to just give back right now Eventually, you know, my work will speak for itself. Being a student, you know, learning from people who are already successful in what you want to do. You want to constantly be in a place where you are seeking knowledge and you're learning from these individuals. So I love that you broke that down for us through your journey. And the last piece that I wanted to highlight, I couldn't miss this part, your faith. You know, just taking that leap of faith. You had so much opposition. And like you said, it was it was really a test because it was like, you know what, this is the time that I could really break down and be like, no, I'm gonna stick with what I know, I'm gonna stay at Enterprise, I'm comfortable here, they're trying to promote me. And you said, I'm going to take a leap of faith. That was so bold of you. That was so bold and I believe God honored that because he saw your heart and your desire to just learn and grow and serve and you were willing to put yourself in a really, really risky place so that you could get around the right people, eventually knowing that This is a chance for some new doors to open for me. And I feel like when you're doing the things that you love and you're really passionate about, it's worth the risk. It's worth the sacrifice. That's right. You know, like, because there's so much opposition. I try to give you the key points that, you know, you have those moments where you look back and you're like, I know that that was a turning point. So I try to give you those touch points. But I mean, you face daily opposition and you always do. And it's never like I made it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think everybody's looking for that day. I made it. But if you're not focused on the journey itself and if not the actual moment of doing the process of what you're doing, if you don't love that, you're never going to make it. Because if it's a destination off in the future, that day is never going to come. I've been on every level of this thing and it's never like a oh, put my feet up now I'm good. Like no, you have to be focused on the daily minute task. Find those little wins in every single day to create the life that you want. And it like we talked about it, I think before we uh started recording a few weeks ago when we talked you got two dates on your tombstone, right? You got your birthday and your death date, but everything that matters is that little dash in between. So if you're not putting into the process, if you're only worried about the destination, you're talking about the final date, that doesn't matter anymore. It's over then. It's for everybody else to not analyze your story. But you got to be in it in the moment and enjoy the process. And that's what carried me through every step of the way. And like you said, I get joy out of serving. I get joy out of helping people. I wanted my man face to be the biggest artist on earth. The whole thing that made me believe that I could have a career in music was by believing that face could be the biggest star ever. Now, it didn't work out for face, but not on this level of, of mass media stardom. We still made great music together, had great experiences to have a great friendship. But that servitude turned into me learning the process of how to serve other people like him. So when I went from working with face when I'm in high school to two years ago working with Wale, who ended up being the biggest artist, uh, rap artist from the area where I grew up. And that was my dream is to make face the biggest artist from the DMV. Now I'm with Wale. I'm at a Washington Commanders football game on Monday Night Football, and Wale is performing at halftime, and I'm standing on the field, and I'm a big football fan, so this means the world to me that I'm sitting here on the field in my favorite team's game with the artists I'm working with performing at halftime, and it clicked. Everything I did with Face was to prepare me for this moment with Wale. I couldn't get to this moment with Wale if I didn't serve Face. Like, I had to serve, and that's every artist I've worked with throughout the whole process, from Kirk O'Banks to Lil Scrappy to whoever I've been a part of their journey. 
I had to sow into them for God to sow back into me. That is so powerful. I was over here about to shout <laughs> because you don't understand how powerful you probably have an idea, but I'm so honored to be sharing your story because this is what people need to hear. This transparency, this realness, to know that, you know, it's okay for things to look like completely opposite of what you've been working towards and you keep pushing. That's it. We need. I mean, for me, I have to be real and I can't tell you how much chaos and how many times I wanted to quit. Even yeah. as I became an upper level executive, yeah. there's situations where I'm like, what am I doing? What did I get myself into? but you gotta keep going, wow. you just gotta keep going. So now, Will, I would love for you to share with us, what does a day in your life look like working with Columbia Records? I oversee the Urban Promotion Department. So we have uh, six, five regional reps and uh, they're stationed in different areas. We divide the country up based on the radio stations in those areas. And we take our music and promote it to those radio stations. So my job is to help you know, create the plans and execute the, the plans to take these records, get them on the radio and drive them up the charts, you know, get mm -hmm. them familiarity and exposure. Nice. And hopefully then they research and react with the fan base and, and, nice. and, you know, turn into a big hit. That's our, that's what we want to do. So day to day for me is just really figuring out what are the priority records that the company has told us? Cause I don't pick the records. I don't pick the artists, the, the, the A&R department, they sign the artists. Mm -hmm. They develop the music with the artist. They bring it to the marketing department. The marketing department that decides how we're going to present the, the music. Does this something that needs to be more of a digital campaign? Does it need to be more of a radio campaign? Does it need to be both? Does it need to be, uh, you know, where's the, they basically figure out who the audience is for this and how do we reach that audience and how do we increase that audience, right? And then once that is decided how we're going to brand it and market the the product how it's going to look with the with the images all that they then bring it to me to then promote it so I almost look wow. at it like if it was a restaurant A&R goes and gets the food and cooks it the marketing department kind of plates it and presents it and then I come out and serve it to the customer so that's the way I kind of look at the process so my day-to-day -day is to figure out based on the artists we have based on the singles that have released and the albums that are coming out, how to take these songs and for lack of a better term, blow them up and make sure that everybody loves it and it becomes a big hit. So day to day, I usually, you know, the first thing I'm checking the charts, I'm seeing where our numbers are, I'm analyzing the data, I'm looking at each station in each region. Um, I oversee two formats of radio. So it's the urban format, which is 96 hip hop stations. And it's the R&B uh, format, which is like 70 some kind of R&B, more urban AC adult leaning stations. And so depending on what records we're working, I'm looking at these charts to see where our records are positioned, what, uh, what other records are positioned. And then I dig into the actual station's playlist and see what they're playing, where they're playing us, if they're not playing us, why they're not playing us, how we can get our records positioned on these playlists, you know, and come up with different ideas to market and promote these songs. And sometimes it's not always about radio. Radio is the main thing that we do, but also sometimes it might be... Um, setting up a promotional run to go do interviews or setting up podcast interviews or different things like that for the artists, you know? So throughout the day, I have conference calls internally with the company to discuss, you know, the goals and objectives and where we are. And then I'm calling all these radio stations across the country, telling them, please play my record. And then I'm overseeing the five regional reps and making sure that the stations that they're assigned to are 
supporting us the way we need them to, and if not, strategizing with them about how we can better position our artists and our records in that particular region. So we have a guy that's in Atlanta that covers kind of Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama. We have a guy in the Carolinas that covers the Carolinas and Florida. We have a guy in New York that kind of covers the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic region all the way down to the bottom of Virginia. We have um, a woman in Chicago that covers the whole Midwest. And then we have a guy in Dallas that covers like that South Central, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Texas area. So wow. they, they, they manage their regions. They're managers of their own regions and stations and markets. And then I kind of oversee and implement it on a national level. Wow, that is super cool. I appreciate you giving us a vivid walkthrough of what it looks like to really mass market an artist and the different roles that go into the different players who make this all happen. And then what a, no what a day in your life looks like. If you're able to, can you give us an idea, maybe just a few artists you've worked with here and there throughout your yes, career? Yes, yes. So I, like I told you to start, you know, we had Lil John, Lil Scrappy, yes. Crime Obby, 40. And then uh, when I got with Warner, E-40 was also signed to Warner. So I worked with him. I worked with Talib nice. Bali. I worked with Mike Jones. Um, wow. I worked with Andrew Day. Uh, I worked with Party Next Door. Really? I've worked with uh, Wale, obviously, uh, wow. Saweetie. Um, Kirko Bangs was an artist that was very personal and dear to my heart because he was somebody uh, out of Texas that was a new artist on Warner and maybe wasn't getting the national looks that I thought he deserved. Mm -hmm. I went down to Texas, like I told you, um, when I was an intern at BME, I didn't understand crunk music until I went to the club mm -hmm. and <clears throat> experienced the culture of it. Because music is more than just the sound in That's your headphones. Right. There's a culture that comes with it, right? So Kirk Bangs had a song uh, called what, what Your Name Is. And it sounded cool to me, but I didn't totally get it. But I went to Houston and saw him perform at a car and bike show and saw the way the audience reacted to him. And I said, this is something that's nationally viable. And it was a process. I mean, it got so bad at work where I was fighting so hard for him that they called me Cousin Kirko. Because they're like, you must be his cousin <laughs> if you're going so hard for him like wow. this. Like, But I just believe it wasn't even, it wasn't personal. I wasn't making anything off of it. It was more just, I saw that there was something that I felt like other people needed to see. Wow. And maybe they didn't see it yet. Mm -hmm. And I went hard. That first record, it, it went national, but it didn't really chart on a major level. It was just a few markets really touched it, but it got him familiar and introduced to the marketplace. The second record, Drank In My Cup, we ended up taking that national, ended up number one record at Rhythmic Radio, because at that time I was working urban and rhythmic radio, and it stayed number one for eight weeks. It was a platinum record, and it was a big record, so it just kind of changed his life and his career, and that was like, those moments are what mean so much to me. When you really see something early, you're passionate about it, you fight for it, and then it delivers. But um, to give you a few more, Gucci Mane, Waka Flocka, wow. um, who else? Uh, currently, I'm working with Beyonce, Pharrell, Lil TJ, Polo G. Uh, let's see. Who else? I don't want to leave anybody out because people be like, oh, man, you, you didn't mention me. Because um, there's so many artists that yeah. I've been, been blessed to work with. Um, so many talented people along the way that have blessed me on my journey because they've given me the gift of being able to present their music to the world on their behalf. Wow. And that's an honor because this is their art. This is their baby. And they're trusting trusting me mm -hmm. to then go present their baby to to strangers. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a it's a very sacred relationship. You have to find out who is their audience, where is their audience, mm -hmm. what is the the key aspects that is going to make people identify with this or relate to it, and then double down in those areas. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a great run. I'm, I've been blessed to work with a great roster of talent at Warner when I was there, as well as now at Columbia. 
Amazing. Thank you so, so much, Will. I really appreciate that. And I know my audience does as well. So now I want to get into a little bit of surprise trivia. So this one, I really just want to ask you a few questions. Share with us, you know, some of the things that you notice that the labels look for in order to pick an artist. So for people who are like, okay, one day, you know, I, I want to get in this industry. What do they look for? What do they want to see in me? It's, it's not something specific so far as like a sound or a look or like what most people think it would be. You know, this is all levels to this. And I believe that you have to find out what fits for you. I don't think that everybody needs to be on a major label. I don't think right. that everybody needs to be independent. Like I said, there's no one size fits all plan. But what I've, what I've seen work best for people is one, having a good team around you, mm. of people that can be honest with you, right. people that you trust, mm -hmm. and people that even if they don't have a supreme knowledge of music, the people that have good life skills. Mm -hmm. Do they show up one time? Mm -hmm. Are they reliable? Are they dependable? Do they have good follow through? Do they check their emails? Do they answer their messages? That's Do they respond good. to text messages? Do they keep their area, you know, clean and tidy? Like, are they organized? Like, life skills will take you so far in any industry, music, mm -hmm. film, art, That's anything. Good. Just because it's art, I feel like people think you can just be like what the image of an artist is, but it's going to be harder to monetize it, I guess. Mm -hmm if you don't have your business tight, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you have somebody that understands contracts? If not, do you have somebody that can maybe help you hire somebody that understands contracts? So you know what you're signing, what you're getting into. But, but going back to your point about what the label's looking for, I think the, the bottom line is talent, mm -hmm. you know? So as long as you have, as you have talent, work ethic, and, and there's, an, a, there's an audience out there for the type of music you're making, mm -hmm. then a lot of times they'll take a chance on investing into you and and growing your audience and turning it into something larger, you know, and scaling your business, you know. So you really kind of have to know what is your audience, you know, and where, where you know, because not every artist is meant to play arenas and not every artist is meant to play 500 capacity venues. Like you have to figure out where do you fit on the career, on the food chain. I remember one of the most rewarding experiences of my career was going on the road with Talib Kweli. And I remember sitting in a radio interview with him and radio traditionally didn't play a lot of Talib music. And so we're in the radio station and one of the jocks, he was a big fan. So he, he really felt like he was being um, flattering with this, with this question, but he asked Talib, does it ever bother him that he's not more successful? And it really kind of offended Talib a little bit because he's like, success is, it's based on, on you and your definition of success. So Maybe, you know, he said, look, I tour 300, 300, years, uh, 300 days a year. I have a loyal fan base that is committed to my music. I, I make money doing music full time, what Beautiful. I love to do. Mm -hmm. I think I'm pretty successful. Beautiful. I know artists that are top of the charts. You think they're probably making millions of dollars and they're miserable. He's like, I'm happy. So, good. so I'm successful. That's you know, good. and just it just like clicked. I'm like, wow, he's right. Like, you know, because we're all just thinking like success just means this one definition. Now, maybe that's success to that one person. There's nothing wrong with being top of the charts and selling out arenas and stadiums. But that might not fit every artist. When you're signed to a label, you're not their employee. You're you're partnering with them. You're saying, hey, it's a business relationship. This label's saying, hey, we're going to invest X amount of money into you and do these services for you in the hopes that the art that you make that we believe in will then make mo enough money for us all to see returns, you and us. So it's a, it's a business relationship. So I think the the connection about you know artists and and, and labels sometimes it's the labels 
chasing the artist, the, the artist is like, you're going to have to prove to me why I should sign to you. You know what I mean? So there's different levels of it. So it's not always the label just picking the artist. Sometimes it's the artist picking the label. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's, again, it's a business relation. Mm-hmm. It's a partnership. So wow. that's, I hope that gives you some insight into it. I hope that makes sense. Yes, it does. That was very insightful. And I love that you talked about just really knowing what works for you as an artist, because like you said, not every artist needs to necessarily be signed to a big label. I love that you also highlighted knowing what success means to you, because it's not going to look the same as everyone else. And there's a phrase, there's, it's even a scripture in the Bible that says comparison is the thief of joy. And so when it's like, when you're trying to compare your work to what everyone else sees as success, you're not able to really show up your best authentic self for the people who need you but when you get to the point when you're aligned with who god created you to be and you say this is my flow this is what i bring to the table and this is enough for me and my audience there's so much power in that you hit the nail on the head that is the advice i give every artist when they ask me what they need to do to be successful i say be yourself don't try to be beyonce don't try to be jay-z don't try to be whoever be you be authentically you because that's what the audience wants they want authenticity that's great that's great yeah and i feel like people (laughs) i love it and people connect with your story more than anything they feel like they're really a part of your life when you share who you really are but you have to know your lane you have to know your story that's where you build your most loyal supporter fan base you know that's it and they'll be with you forever so whether you have a hit on the charts or not that you can still tour for the next 20 years and that fan base will be there for you my brother ronnie who you interviewed he told me we have the same mother different father so his grandfather on his dad's side is not my grandfather so that's okay. what i'm gonna say his grandfather told him the best gift one can give thyself is to know thyself mm, and that's good. that is something that i've carried with me and I try to put into everything I do and also the advice I give to others. Like, you have to know yourself. So good. That is so good. Wilt, this has been absolutely breathtaking, better than I imagined. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with us. We really, really appreciate you over here on Diamonds in the Rough. I would love for you to share with us where can my audience find you if they want to connect or follow you. Yes, thank. and first off, I want to say thank you for inviting me on your platform. I appreciate it. My role is traditionally to be behind the scenes, so a lot of times people don't see me, they don't hear me, and I'm totally fine with that because I know myself. My first phrase as a child was, don't see me. I didn't want to be seen. So although I love to write music and record music, I never wanted to perform it. So I knew that a career as being an artist wasn't for me because you make your money performing and I don't perform. So anyway, I just want to say thank you for bringing me on your platform to let me talk my stuff because every now and then I got to get it out too. I got to tell people my story. So thank you so much for having me on your platform. But look, if you want to find me, uh, Facebook is a little more personal, but my my Facebook is Wilton Wallace. That's my name, uh, (laughs) W-I-L-T-O-N. W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Twitter, which I don't use as much, but I do have the Twitter. It's more for my sports banter and stuff like that. Is Wilt Wallace at W-I-L-T-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Instagram is the same thing, at Wilt Wallace. And um, I'm trying to think. I guess that's the main ways. And, and what I did want to say is while we're touching on social media, what you said about the comparison thing and that, you know, sometimes I feel like social media has enhanced that so much for people where they're so stuck in looking at what everybody else is doing and losing themselves through that process. I just want to say that I do social media purges all the time. I sometimes delete the apps from my phone just to get away from it. Like 
sometimes disconnect. Like, yeah, yes. it's a window. You got to see what's going in the, on in the world. I'm not saying don't use it. It's a tool to promote yourself, but be careful with that thing because you do not want to be caught in that comparison because it's a never-ending cycle that'll lead to somewhere dark. Thank you for sharing that seriously, because I think we all need to hear that, you know, just finding balance in, in time to pull away from social media because right. it's, it's so noisy, you know, and it's like, how can you really flow in your own and what's going on in your day to day if you're busy following what other people are doing all day long, you know, like, you know, we have enough going on in our own world. So I love that yeah. you said sometimes you even log off, delete the apps, just being present is very important. I love That's that. It. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much again it's been an honor having you today and maybe one day in the future we'll be able to have you back again <laughs> definitely anytime Gigi thank you so much thank you Will take care you too bye thank you all so much for sticking around for today's episode I do hope you enjoyed it we are currently preparing to launch season 2 in just a few weeks and I have some really amazing things in store for you all in season 2 so to stay updated on the latest be sure to subscribe and hit that notification bell so that you can be notified when season two launches. Thank you all so much for supporting and I'll see you all in season two.